On the first episode of Running Red Lights, we talked about San Antonio's red light district, how it started, how it grew, and how it was finally shut down. But we haven't talked about the women of the district, whose stories weren't very well documented. I'm Bree Kirkham. And I'm Kathleen Creedon. This is Running Red Lights, a limited series podcast from Texas Public Radio about the history of sex work in San Antonio. And the women who ran the industry, but who weren't allowed to make history. This is episode two, What Happened to Emilia Garza. Before we get started, a quick note about language. Through this series, you'll hear our sources, and sometimes us, refer to prostitution or people who worked in prostitution as a reflection of the industry in that time period. We also use phrases like body house or bods, B-A-W-D, talking about brothels or sex workers. We primarily use the term sex work to acknowledge changes in our language, though the modern understanding of the term includes work like camming, stripping, porn work, and so on. I'm always interested to find women that find some kind of autonomy um, during this time period. And a woman who was a Mexican immigrant who owned her own brothel refused to pay these licensing fees. And her name was Amelia Garza. Brian Callahan, who was San Antonio's mayor during the late 1880s, saw other cities across the country make money off of licensing brothels. And he wanted to do the same. He was nicknamed King Callahan during that time period. Um, He's probably what we would have considered um, like a political boss during that time, you know, during that. And during this era, that was really common in in larger cities for you to have people that kind of ran the city. And like I said, they nicknamed him King Callahan for a reason. He really ran things. That's Jennifer Kane, a high school history teacher who wrote her master's thesis on San Antonio's red light district. The city council passed an ordinance in 1889 to decriminalize sex work so they could start charging licensing fees. But the city charter, which served as a sort of local constitution, didn't actually allow them to charge licensing fees on vice industry businesses like brothels, saloons, or gambling halls. I don't know if city officials actually knew this or if they just didn't care. Either way, they did charge licensing fees to brothel owners and arrested those who didn't pay. One of those brothel owners was a madam named Amelia Garza. She was in her early 30s when she was arrested. We don't know how long she was in San Antonio, but she came from Mexico. Garza stands out because she fought the city after they arrested her. She pointed out that the fees were illegal. Professor Lilia Rosas teaches at the University of Texas at Austin and wrote her dissertation on San Antonio's red light district. A chapter was dedicated to Amelia Garza. Do you think that she would have been... I guess, socially a leader in her community. Um, To us, someone who were to do this today, they would be, you know, the face of a movement or they would be leading an advocacy. But from what you know of the time period, do you think that that's fair to assume or to guess that she was someone that people rallied behind who were in her community? I think that's such an elegant way to put it. And honestly, in terms of historical evidence, we simply don't know. In terms of the broader historical picture, what we do know is that there's plenty of white women who were madams who were, um, given that designation, seen as a leader within their own community in the forefront of um, basically shamelessly saying, yes, I am a sex worker and I employ other sex workers and I have a house of prostitution and there's some infamous people who, you know, um, benefit from the services provided here. 
And I think um, what I appreciate about the segment that you all are doing is that part of the work of, of a historian, of a scholar, of a thinker, of an investigator, of a journalist is really pushing those boundaries of thinking through what is it in our mind that we just simply haven't allowed ourselves to see. Um, I certainly saw her as a leader because I think she raised important questions in her case where she did admit, she goes, yes, I do run a house of prostitution. Yes, I am, you know, a madam. No, I won't pay for this license. And no, your license is illegal. And um, yes, I am gonna seek counsel to fight this. So basically, screw you. So we don't know for sure if she was a leader among madams and sex workers, but after she challenged the city, she definitely became well-known. Newspapers in town like the San Antonio Light and the San Antonio Express started writing about her. Garza's case went up to the State Court of Appeals, and a decision came down pretty fast. The court ruled in her favor, noting that the city of San Antonio's charter didn't allow them to charge these kinds of licensing fees. There's an account in the San Antonio Express explaining that they received a special telegram from Galveston as soon as the ruling came down. So this reporter went to Mayor Brian Callahan's house to tell him and, I guess, to get a reaction? I'm picturing this reporter literally running to the mayor's house, probably super excited that he's about to break the news to him. Yeah, and the mayor didn't believe him at first. Here's an excerpt from the paper from February 1890. Quote, when told of the dispatch to the Express, he was at first dispensed to not believe the report, but he was assured of the accuracy. It was a big deal that Garza won this case. Here's Rosas again. She stands out as the only Mexican woman who successfully not only took a case to one of the highest courts in Texas, but actually won. So after she won, the city had to change its charter. And then they had to rewrite the body house ordinance and get it approved for a second time. It was basically the same ordinance, except the new one had language about charging licensing fees, of course. This all happened in about a year and a half. So the new ordinance didn't go into effect until July 1891. And city officials were probably not happy that they weren't making any money off brothels during this time. Remember, that was a big reason Callahan passed the ordinance in the first place. And two months after the new ordinance went into effect, Garza is deemed insane and thrown in jail. We don't know why. And at this point in the timeline, historians lost track of what happened to her. Our sources who researched her never found out what happened. So we tried to figure that out. That's coming up after this break. Immigration. I think we need to all get in before the wall goes up. Health. The Promotora, they have all the resources that can get them the help that they need. Art. There's this kind of subversiveness to it, right? We cover all these topics and more on Fronteras as we examine issues along the border and beyond. I'm Norma Martinez. Download Fronteras where you find your favorite podcasts. Before the break, we were discussing Amelia Garza, a madam who challenged and beat the city of San Antonio for charging illegal licensing fees to brothel owners. After the city changed its charter and rewrote the body house ordinance, Amelia Garza was mysteriously deemed insane and sent to jail. We don't know why, 
but we have some theories. And so does UT professor Lilia Rosas. What I know of this time frame, any woman who's considered a nuisance could be declared insane because of the ways in which the infrastructure would reinforce um, misogynistic views about how to contain powerful women. So to find out what happened to Garza, we needed help. One of the people we reached out to was David Carlson, Bear County's Spanish archivist. He found the probate minutes where Garza was tried and declared insane. Carlson read the ruling to me from a large laminated book in a temperature-controlled room where historical documents are stored. Effectively, this says, um, in the cause of the state of Texas versus Emilia Garza, charged as non compos mentis, find she is of unsound mind. It is necessary that she be put under restraint. She has had one attack of insanity for the past two days. There are no persons legally liable for her support that we know. And it is signed by the... It's signed by six men who are her uh, jurors in this case. And uh, it is then ordered, adjudged, and described by the court that said verdict be approved that the defendant, Emilia Garza, is insane, that she be restrained of her liberty, that a certified copy of the information, testimony, charge, and verdict be transmitted to the superintendent of the state lunatic asylum at Austin, Texas, and that the county pay all costs herein incurred. Full stop. So Garza is sentenced to go to the state hospital in Austin, but we don't know why she was deemed insane. An article from the San Antonio Light titled The Insane Woman said Garza was leaving behind, quote, nice furniture, diamond jewelry, a piano, and four children. And again, this is where history lost track of her. At this point, I was sending mass emails to anyone who I thought could help, including the San Antonio Public Library. Librarian Debbie Countess responded. My first thought when I got the request for more information on Amelia Garza was, okay, I'm going to have to deal with the spelling of her first name, Amelia with an E, uh, um, Amelia with an A, Amalia with an A-M-A. My second thought was, uh, what are the odds that anything dealing with this woman's life will be in the digitized newspapers that we have available through our database? Uh, I would have bet probably there was a 20% chance that I would find something on this woman for you. But uh, I went ahead and did a search, and lo and behold, bam, there it was. And I about fell out of the chair because it was exactly what we wanted to know, and that was basically what happened to her. And what happened to her was that she never made it to the asylum. She died in the jail a week later. And uh, that then, because of the time frame, it being 1891, I knew there was a very good chance that she would appear in the city death ledger that the city was keeping from 1873 to 1926, I believe. And so I went to the digitized collection at the municipal records facility and did a search. And lo and behold, on the death ledger, I found her entry, which listed her information and her cause of death. And Countess said if I had asked about Garza 10 years ago, she probably wouldn't have been able to help me because fewer documents were digitized back then. I would have had to physically look through papers and documents instead of using the digital database search. 
The article Countess found was published in the San Antonio Light on September 15, 1891, the day Amelia Garza died. The county death ledger stated that she died of insanity, which was likely a euphemism for malnourishment or dehydration. I personally think that was some kind of cover-up because I can't believe that within a week you would die from that, but that is what the record stated. When we told Professor Rosas what happened to Garza, she agreed the circumstances were very suspicious. And for them to then really seek to not only discredit her, but then determine that she was insane, says to me, wow, what else were they worried that this woman was capable of? If she already held sway, what kind of rallying could she, could she have done under her leadership? Everyone we talked to acknowledged that Garza's death was sketchy. But there's just no way to know the truth. She could have died by suicide or maybe of an untreated illness that was categorized under insanity. We just don't know. I talked to Carlson, the county Spanish archivist, about that. I'm sure that uh, people who are familiar with um, feminist history and the history of women will note that women are often uh, also pathologized. And if a woman causes problems for powerful men, uh, particularly in terms of their wealth, there is a tendency to view that woman as uh, not being right, being hysteric, um, etc., etc. So, you know, it's it's an open question, I think. Was Amelia Garza ill and crazy and she suffered a breakdown and she injured herself or she had some kind of health issues that had gone undiagnosed and unforeseen and she simply died in the custody of the jail in 1891? Or did people basically have her silenced and then later eliminated or killed? But again, it's all speculative until we can find further clues. And uh, at this point, it's a pretty cold case. (laughs) So trying to get to the bottom of it is going to take some doing. We know someone's legacy doesn't necessarily die when they die. So Carlson decided to keep digging. Like everyone, I'm a sucker for a happy ending. So, of course, I found a a student who had come from difficult circumstances and who had uh, who had um, received awards uh, at a Catholic uh, high school. I had thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if this was one of the children of Amelia Garza? This student was also named Amelia Garza, same spelling. And an article congratulating her on academic achievements was published in the San Antonio Light 17 years after the Madam Amelia Garza died in jail. We know she had four kids, so this could have been her daughter and namesake. Maybe. The census reports from this time period were destroyed in a fire, and that's really what we need to know the names of her kids. But with four children, I have to believe she does have some living relatives today. And some of them are probably still in San Antonio. If you think you're one of them, let us know. You can send us a note at redlights at tpr.org. Next time on Running Red Lights, we're going to introduce Mary Valino, a madam who turned her brothel into a rescue home for women and girls, which still exists today. I think she would be pleased to know that we've returned to who we are and what she intended us to be, maintaining the work with survivors, but also keeping adoption alive and uh, being willing to change and to just have those visions of what comes next. 
Running Red Lights is a podcast from Texas Public Radio. I'm Kathleen Creedon. And I'm Bree Kirkham. Special thanks to the San Antonio Public Library and the Bear County Spanish Archives. Editing and production from Dallas Williams. Our graphic was designed by Rob Martinez. Sound design from Jacob Rosati. Our theme song is Mujer Moderna by the band Fea. Dan Katz is our news director. Find transcripts, episodes, and additional reporting at tpr.org slash RRL.